0: Hi everybody and welcome back to the Because We Went to Therapy podcast. I'm Ashley. And I'm Emily. And today we have a duo uh, for interviews with us. We have Leora Gal and Annalise Small. They're both working at the same practice in both Pennsylvania. They do online therapy in both Pennsylvania and New Jersey. They see individual clients, but they also both focus on uh, marriage and therapy counseling, which is kind of what will be the subject of our podcast today, they also work with individuals for issues like stress management, anxiety, self-esteem, and more. But like I said, we really uh, first found them on Instagram and wanted to get them on to talk more about the marriage and family side of therapy, which we have not really gotten to touch ourselves quite yet on the podcast. So welcome, ladies. Thanks for coming.
1: Hello. Thank you you for having us. Yes, of course.
0: So just to start out, I saw that you both went to Thomas Jefferson University. Is that kind of how you guys connected or could you give us your backgrounds? Uh,
1: Oh, my gosh. Yeah, (laughs) it's such a funny story. Um, Do you want to tell it or do you want me to tell it? No, you tell it. I like (laughs)
2: like your point of view of this.
1: It's so it's a little cringy because like I was such a fangirl. Basically, <laughs> I'm starting out at Jefferson, super excited about grad school, and I find Liora on Instagram. I follow her, right? And I'm just like I shoot her a message here and there responding to like her questions and her stories or something like that. And I think I reposted one of her stories to my like personal Instagram story. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this is so cool, or I don't even know what I said. And one of my friends messaged me and was like, Oh my gosh, I love her. And the rest was kind of history. Then I was like, wait a second, it just gave me confidence to reach out and be like, okay, I can talk to this person. She's a real human. Um, So I reached out and she was like, let's do a phone call sometime. If you ever have any questions, I was like, obviously I'm going to take you up on that. (laughs) Um, So I just picked her brain about school therapy, life as a therapist, because they don't teach you about that in school. Um, And then towards the end closer to my graduation she was like hey if you happen to be looking for a job i may be hiring and i was like obviously i'm sending you my resume right now (laughs) so yeah and the rest is history
2: and i what i'll say to that is if you're in grad school Take this as an opportunity or a lesson to reach out and network because it's so important. And I did that when I, Annalise, when I was in your shoes, I would just reach out. And whether it's just to ask questions or to see if someone's hiring, it's so important to form those relationships and connections because our field can be so isolating, um, especially if you're in private practice or, you know, you're on your own. It's it's important to connect with other therapists, especially like minded therapists. And I think as soon as I spoke with Annalise the first time, I was like, "Oh wow!" Like um, and I think it was like a year before we ever talked about you coming on, where I was mm-hmm. like, "I'm going to keep her in mind um when I'm when I'm feeling ready or if I'm ever going to do this." Um, and I'm glad that it worked out. That is yeah. such a
3: cool story. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, nice. and I- I think that's
1: one of the really cool things about marriage and family therapy as a field. It lets us be more collaborative, not just with other therapists, but with doctors, dietitians, OTs, whoever our clients could be working with so that we can kind of all get on the same page. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah,
3: yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Um, so tell us more about your practice then, Leor.
2: Yeah, so the, the therapy gal originally, I mean, th- the name came about because my last name's gal. <laughs> I <know>. love <laughs> it. <Nah, laughs> thanks. Take a pun on my last name. But, um, now I'm like, should I change it to the therapy gals? <laughs> um, so that's, the, <laughs> that's something I'm working on or I'm thinking about, but yeah, so I, I I started it. I brought in Elise on shortly after. And it's basically we're both marriage and family therapists. We work systemically, which basically means that we look at you as more than just the individual. we We take your system into account rather than first session. We're like, all right, what brings you in? We're like, okay, before we even get to that, I want to know about your mom. I want to know about your dad. I want to know about what it was like when you were four years old. Um, so our practice is is very much so systemic. And I, you know, I, I think too, and and what I really liked about Annalise is just the relatability and the, um, authenticity that we bring in our sessions. I think that therapists are historically known to kind of have to be blank slates. And I think that on social media, I I try to really destigmatize that of like, look, we're human beings too. I have my own stuff. I'm not going to put that on my clients, obviously. Um, but that I'm not sitting here on a pedestal where someone else is struggling. So I think that uh, The Therapy Gal, really what I want for, I wanted from it from the start was just, just relatability, just to feel like, hey, I'm not so alone in this. And I think that social media, although uh, there's some good things and bad things with it, I think it brings on a lot of that relatability. And I sort of, I took that opportunity to really in, in, enhance that and jump on that. So that's sort of how it was created.
3: Yeah. And actually, one of the reasons um, when I first found your page, I was like, oh, I love this content because, yeah, it is relatable. It's fun. Right. Like, you know, kind of even though mental health is obviously a very serious thing. I like that you can make it fun in the sense that it's easily digestible. Right. Because I feel like mental health can be so hard to understand, like if you're not in the field or you don't have a ton of knowledge of it. And so I like that you make it fun and digestible, but also educational at the same time. So you do a great job with that. And, and that's why I wanted to get you in the podcast. And then I'm glad mm-hmm. that you brought Annalise with you.
2: Yeah, I really appreciate that. And that that's such a good point that you make because, and I forgot to mention it, is that something that I always hear about is people fearing going to therapy or fearing that it's just so serious all the time. And that's just not the case. There's going to be sessions where you're going to be laughing or you're just telling a funny story or you're just I mean, like, it doesn't have to be so heavy all the time. It it will be at some points, and it will be challenging, but it doesn't need to be so scary. And I, I think what you just mentioned is exactly what I want to put out there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I saw a
0: TikTok this reminds me of a couple of weeks ago that I sent to Emily that was like, I wonder if my therapist is expecting me to come in today and just have a gossip day or like a trauma dumping day. And I'm like, that's so true. Like I can relate to
2: that. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Cause I mean, depends on how frequently you see your therapist, whether that's weekly biweekly monthly, you know, sometimes things don't come up or sometimes we work through stuff or sometimes it was too heavy last week. And so this week we need to kind of just focus on coping skills That's absolutely appropriate. I I love that. I want you to send that TikTok to me as well. (laughs) Yeah, I'll
0: try. I'll try to find it again and I'll send it to you because it was relatable because, like you said, sometimes you're almost just some therapy sessions in my eyes when I go to therapy are, you know, if I don't have anything super pressing that week, it's more just like a maintenance thing, like just checking up. How are you? how are things going like there's always little stressors in life that we can help with but not every single session is going to be like this earth shattering thing that is going to drag on with you for the rest of the week so i
3: think it's really great that you you guys are both
0: working on destigmatizing that
2: yeah thanks
3: yeah and i think that's important to know too because i'll have some clients who will be like gossiping or venting, and they'll be like, oh, I'm sorry, like, this is probably so irrelevant. And I'm like, no, not at all. Like, it's these these are your sessions, I always say, like, however you wanna spend the time is up to you. And also, venting is healthy, right? Like, being able to get out, even if it's, like, not necessarily related to your goals. Like, if your boss just pissed you off at work, like, it's healthy to vent and, you know, talk about it and not keep it all in. And if that ends up being, like, a little bit silly at the same time, like, I see nothing wrong with that.
1: Yeah. It's also yeah. all information to help us see the client as a person slash there may be days that we just don't have space to dive deep. And it's more of a tea spilling day than a trauma dump day.
3: <laughs> right. No, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned like a systemic approach. And so is that, um, cause I know like I remember and I'm a um, LPC. So just different letters, but I remember, um, in grad school, we learned about, um, like a systemic family, marriage and family approach as like an orientation almost. So is that considered your orientation or do you kind of have like an eclectic where you, um, use different ones or can you each share a little bit about that?
2: Yeah. Um, something that I would say to that is, uh, like, yes, but no, I mean, it's always sort of like the baseline for us. But that doesn't mean that I'm going to bug someone to tell me about every little deepest thing about their family. That's not necessarily it. And sometimes we need to use um, a cognitive behavioral approach. Sometimes it's, I mean, I do EMDR, so that's not really, yeah, that's not really family-based. Um, there's a lot of stuff that will come up family-wise, but not sure. family-based. So, I mean, that that's sort of my point of view, and at least I'm not sure um, what you think about it.
1: Yeah, I think it's a both and like, I think my basis for everything is a systemic approach, but I'm also going to pull from narrative or CBT or emotion focused, whatever, you know, it just kind of depends on the client slash need. So like if a client is pushing motions down, I want to understand why and where that came from, you know, where did you learn that? did mom or dad do that? And then also like, okay, how can we kind of tap into those emotions a little bit more
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. kind of use that as a pathway forward.
3: That makes sense.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say that seems really important when you're finding a therapist too, because as the one non-therapist here, sometimes it can be confusing when you're looking to find that counselor or professional, and you see what they specialize in and you see letters like CBT or EMDR and you're like, what do these things mean? Like what is going to be beneficial for me? So I think it's great that you can kind of, you know, take a little piece of whatever works for each client.
1: Definitely. Yeah. And even with all of that, I mean, EMDR is its own thing and is absolutely fantastic. And I will say I remember when I first started out in grad school, I was like, ah, oh, theoretical orientation is so important. I wish more people knew about this. And then I realized that it doesn't matter as much as your relationship with your therapist does. Like if you don't have a great fit with your therapist, or if your therapist isn't a great fit for you, you can't get as much of the work done because you're not wanting to open up as much, if that
3: makes sense. Absolutely. I remember thinking the same thing and I ended up writing my thesis on the relationship between therapist and client and like how to repair ruptures and whatnot, because I thought the same thing, like yeah. have a very strong, like um, acceptance and commitment and psychodynamic approach. And at the same time, I agree with you hundred percent that the relationship is so important. It can be one of the biggest like catalysts of change um, between for a client.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. That's amazing. That's a cool thesis.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I loved it, actually. It's, like, fun when you write about something that's, because it's so much research, you know, but it's fun Mm -hmm. when it's, like, something that is actually passionate about.
2: Yeah, because it's so true, and we don't talk about it. We think that, like, you're just going to get along with your therapist, and because they're going to just vibe with you in some way, and that's not always the case. Sometimes Mm -hmm. you kind of have to shop around.
3: Yeah. Also, I feel like if you don't have a good relationship with them, you can't, like, I consider myself, like, kind of confrontational therapist in the uh, in the sense that, like, I'm going to gently nudge you to, like, put, you know, get out of your comfort zone and try, you know, hard things. And so I feel like they wouldn't do those things if they didn't trust me, if we didn't have a good relationship. And so, you know, I'm sure you guys can relate to that. But, yeah, it's just so important to, like, when your therapist is telling you to do something really scary, like EMD because I do EMDR as well. And they're like, oh, I don't know about that. That trust and that relationship is so important.
2: Yeah and I'm I'm laughing because I just I literally just posted a meme about this a couple of days ago oh, really? and it was like the the Gordon Ramsay meme and it was like one image of him like talking to a child and he's like I'm not going to leave here until you stop crying and then the second picture is like him saying like are you li- like panini head are you listening to me and I, I listed like the, your therapist in the beginning versus like how your therapist talks to you now and I completely vibe with what you just said because I'm very direct as well as a therapist and my clients tell me that and I I think it takes t- time a little bit to kind of join and create that, uh, trust. But once you do, I mean, it's for the benefit of the client. So I, I agree with you. Mm
0: -hmm. Definitely. And do you ever find when going into, instead of just individual therapy, but moving into like couples and family therapy, is there ever a difficulty where you might kind of jive with one of the people in the dynamic, but the other one, not so much? And how do you kind of bridge that gap?
1: It's a
2: really good question. I don't know. Do you have thoughts on that, Lior? Um. So for couples therapists, there's this idea that we need to be Switzerland, right? We need to be neutral. And that's just not the case for couples therapists, because sometimes one partner is going to do something that is wrong. And understanding that and helping with the communication around that is going to be very important. Now, that doesn't mean necessarily that I, or or a couple's therapist is going to, um, how did you phrase it again? Like light, uh, connect with one over the other.
0: Yeah. Like maybe if, uh, one, one client is more in terms of therapy, they're more your style, if that makes sense. And you have Mm -hmm. a good rapport with them and the other person's maybe a little bit harder to connect with. If That makes sense.
2: Yeah, I, I, yes. So I guess to that, I would say, I mean, that might be natural to connect with someone a little bit better, especially if they're doing the homework, they're following, you know, all the protocols for therapy and they're, they're showing up and, you know, all of that. It might be easier to lean and, and trust that client more to fulfill those. Um, assignments, quote unquote, when I say homework, I mean, just like what you tell the couple to work on outside of therapy. Um, but that doesn't mean that you're going to be treating them differently, or less better, or you're going to gang up on them. That would be very unethical, in my opinion. Yeah. And I think the other thing too, is like,
1: I have just drilled in my brain, the relationship is my client, not the partner one and partner two so if there's a partner that's pulling away then I'm gonna try and join more with them so that things can kind of be more balanced so but it is tricky because that has happened and I think that that probably happens for or can happen for a lot of couples in therapy is like one could be more invested than the other or one just drives more with the therapist than the other so it's more of a Mm -hmm. like how do we all get on the same page here Mm -hmm.
3: Kind of similar to that note, do you, um, as couples therapists or a family therapist, find that there's often one partner who wants to be there more than the other? And if that's the case, how do you work with that?
2: It depends, but yes, <laughs> that's definitely <happened laughs> it's always the me. answer, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it happens. It it happens. And like Annalise just said, it really does depend on the situation and what they're coming in for. Um, And I mean, in my work, if someone's really withdrawn and uninterested in couples work, then really not much progress can be done and there would be a conversation around it. Um, Also something to as couples therapists, we also meet with a couple Um, individually. So with each partner individually, that's very, very important. Um, we have a no secrets policy around that of like, if there's infidelity or there's some financial secret that they're keeping from their partner, they cannot tell us in that one-on-one session, but that if they tell us we can help them bring it up to their partner, but they can't tell us and then have us not share that with them. Um, I went on a, a totally different tangent on that one, but, um, but that's just one, one small thing, um, around that too.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And my, um, previous job after, before moving into private practice was working with sex addiction and infidelity. And so a lot of times there we were doing couples work on, um, just infidelity and all that. So I saw a lot of the, okay, we need to go to therapy because of this issue, but like one, the person who, um, you know, had the infidelity, not wanting to be there, not wanting to deal with it, or vice versa with the person who had the infidelity wanting to be there and the other person being like, I'm done. Like it's over. Why are we even here? Um, I've heard this and I don't know if this is true. Maybe you guys can, um, clarify this, that sometimes people feel like they go to couples therapy as kind of like the, okay, check the, you know, it didn't work out. So now we can end the relationship. Do you guys see that? Or is that, misconception i don't think think i've had a couple like that yet
2: it can happen it can happen i would say most people don't want to spend like hundreds of dollars for that um but sometimes yeah i mean they say yeah to couples therapy but really in the back of their minds they know that the relationship is over and they're kind of giving it that one last try but yeah, I mean, a, a couple's therapist, I mean, it's happened before where I haven't done it, but I, I, and it's okay to do it, but a therapist will literally tell a couple, I don't think you guys are going to work out. And that's something I think that's really surprising to hear because they think, oh, well, this therapist is just supposed to like heal our relationship. Like, what do you mean we're not going to work out? And, and so it, it can happen as well uh,
3: with mm-hmm. that. It's gotta be tough. I know you said you haven't done it, but I imagine that would be tough.
2: Yes. Yes. Because it's, yeah, it's, it's upsetting. It's a very upsetting thing to come to a realization of.
0: Mm -hmm. And pivoting off of that, do you ever think that is there a right time to go to couples therapy or is it ever like too early in a relationship? Because I've had experiences where, I've suggested to friends that were going through it. I'm like a huge advocate for therapy, obviously. So they've told me about difficult times they're having in their relationship. I'm like, maybe you should try couples therapy. And they're like, Oh, you know, we've only been dating X amount of time. Like if we can't get along at this point, therapy is just never, like, there's just no point of even trying. So what's your take on that?
1: Mm-hmm. It's so tough. I feel like it's, well it depends (laughs) i think going earlier rather than later you can save yourself so much time and heartache and potential arguments Mm -hmm. so i don't know i'm still thinking on that one but that's a great question
2: i think too like it depends where in your relationship you're at So like, are we just exclusive, but we didn't DTR define the relationship yet? Like, are we actual part, like not actual partners, but you mean like have that conversation with each other? Are we, what are we arguing about? What is coming up for us? Is it a, a a moral conflict? Is it just preferences? Right. So it, it really depends. Cause I think with relationships, you, you choose your partner. Like you choose mm-hmm. them and you have to choose them every single day. And I don't mean that in like a romantic like fairy tale Disney movie where it's like I choose you every day, but like you do. You and and it's a lot of work. So mm-hmm. is the work going to come early, later, in the middle, I i don't know, necessarily. I think everyone is different, and I mean, now there's, like, The Bachelor, and, like, um, Married at First Sight, so, like, those people have been dating for two days. Like, do they need, deserve to get a couple there? Yeah, yes. like, I I would say yes. Um, so, like, Annalise said, I think it absolutely does depend.
0: Mm-hmm. No, that's a great point about the reality shows. Like, I've always said when watching The Bachelor, Bachelorette, like, those people should have, like, a Counselor on call from the they moment that they get engaged. Oh, they do. Okay,
2: they, good. They do. I I just found out. They do.
0: Okay, so they it's finish. never too early because they only date for like five <laughs> weeks or something before they get engaged.
2: <laughs> Ex- yeah, exactly. I mean, when you're in a pr- pressure cooker like that, and there's so many expectations, and you have to hide your relationship until like there's the, you know what I mean? Like there's so much to go with that, and I really I. I feels so bad for them and all the mental health stuff that they go through so yeah they they I think they do I'm pretty sure they have um accessibility to mental health care Mm -hmm. through the show
3: that's good that's good to know and I feel Mm -hmm. like you know talking about couples therapy is helpful because my um husband and I we did premarital counseling which in my opinion was just normal couples therapy like we didn't do any like specific like you know, premarital stuff. I don't know if you guys have done that, but um, I remember like what I was telling some people and they're like, oh, like what's wrong? Like, is there something wrong? Are you guys fighting a lot? Like, is the wedding stress? And I was like, I mean, yeah, of course, like we have our normal, like, you know, day to day arguments and like wedding stress is real, but I just wanted to go because none of us really, neither, I mean, neither of us were really modeled how to have a healthy relationship and like how to, um, with like our own parents and how to, you know, deal with like merging finances and, you know, bringing up conversation of kids and houses and all that stuff. And so I told people, I was like, no, I just, I want to have the, t- even, you know, as a therapist myself, I want to have the tools to have a successful relationship. And like, I loved it because we got to talk about like everything and anything, not just like wedding stuff or, you know, financial stress or just, you know, we just kind of talked about everything and so it was really great and um, and then, you know, we didn't need it anymore and I know that it's always something, you know, in the back of my pocket if we're ever struggling in the future to be able to go back and do couples therapy and um, so I feel like there's never a wrong time to go, if that would be fair to say, like, and there doesn't have to necessarily be something quote unquote wrong. And I remember getting that a lot from people. And I was like, nope, we're just trying to go so we can, you know, have the tools and strengthen our connection. Yeah.
2: yeah. And I'm, I'm glad that you're sharing that because this kind of goes with any type of therapy, even if right now you were talking about going to therapy, people are like, oh, what's wrong? Yeah. What's what's going on? It's like, well, why? What if I'm just doing well and I want to maintain that? Right. (laughs) That that's also a good reason to go to couples therapy. We're doing well and we want to maintain that. So true. Yeah. Yeah. And
1: it gives you an excuse to have couple time, like especially if one or both partners have demanding jobs or there's kids involved and it's like okay we know that we have this hour either once a week or however often you do it to come together and just talk debrief or just get on the same page about whatever is going on
3: Mm -hmm. because it's like scary to have hard conversations. like even as a therapist i feel like it's hard and scary to have um like those deep or tough tough conversations with your partner um and so i loved having like a space to go where like you know, we could have a third party there to help us navigate the issue and like learn about our communication styles. And um, my husband's not in the mental health field. And so there was like a lot of education for him, which was really helpful and like our attachment styles and all that. And so, yeah, like we learned a lot about just things in general, but about each other. And so, yeah, I like that point that the couple's time and deepening your relationship are two really great benefits. Yeah.
2: yeah. That's beautiful.
0: And going off of that, how Emily was saying, just how you don't always learn or come into a relationship, knowing exactly how to communicate or have that healthy dynamic, especially if you didn't see it modeled by your parents. So how common are kind of communication issues within a relationship? And can you find that they can often be resolved just by figuring out, you know, okay, like a healthy way to argue, for example.
2: Yeah, I think there's a difference between process and content when it comes to anything. Process is how we fight and content is what we fight about, or the content might change every single time, but the process stays the same. So if we're always raising our voice at each other, no matter what, whether it's about the dishes or the the cleaning or the dog, we're going to fight in the same way about it every single time. And so I think really focusing on the process and understanding, hey, what what is a better way to communicate this? Or if I'm feeling myself escalating, how do I de-escalate? Do I need a timeout for myself? Um, when are those triggers? What do I notice in my body and really focus on that. And I think that's what really couples therapy is for is for a therapist to really view the way that you communicate with each other because communication is the biggest issue. I think Annalise, you would agree with that.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah, That was my first thought. Right. Exactly. Because we all come from our own family dynamics of the way that we communicate or how we watched our parents communicate and we bring that into our romantic relationship. So can it be unlearned? 100%. Is it really, really hard to do that? Yes, I think so.
0: (laughs) But the thing is that you bring up, it's like everybody has those different communication styles, but although it might be really difficult to unlearn, I feel like everybody that I know that's gone through the therapeutic process is always so happy that they did and that they now have those tools. And I don't remember what movie this quote is from. I think it was something with Dak Shepard or maybe Ashton Kutcher. I could be totally off base. I get those two confused. But they said, like, if you don't figure it out in the relationship you're in now, then it's just going to continue with whatever relationship you're in in the future. If it's like a reoccurring problem with a communication problem, for example, in your relationships, maybe it's something that you yourself could work on. And That's not to say the relationship is going to last forever. Maybe it's not the right one for you. But those patterns could still continue to pop up.
1: Absolutely. And I think (laughs) this could be like jumping down a rabbit hole but whatever you argue about or whatever that keeps coming up you can also pass down to your kid and they will Mm -hmm. live the same thing and just some generational trauma for you
0: absolutely yeah yeah
2: (laughs) I I think I feel like that's Jax Dax Dax. Jax yes (laughs) I think so too. it might have been
0: his podcast or something yeah
2: yeah. Cause he, he talks a lot about relationships.
0: Mm-hmm. He has
2: really good stuff around relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. So, so I think, maybe it
0: he was from armchair expert.
2: Yeah, I think so. Cause it's a good one. Cause it's so true. Unless we heal ourselves or we heal the wounds. It doesn't matter how much baggage we baggage, quote unquote, we come into the relationships, but it's how much, how we're, we're handling it, how we're coping with how we're dealing, how we're healing. So it's, it's really important to focus more on that on ourselves rather than like, they didn't do it. You didn't do it. Like you're the problem. Pointing the finger isn't going to get us anywhere.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad Absolutely. you brought up the passing on the trauma. Cause I forgot to mention that was like one of my main reasons for wanting to go to couples therapy, even though I'd already been to, Um, years of my individual therapy, I was like, okay, we're not passing this on. Like, (laughs) I know we're not going to be perfect parents, but I am absolutely not passing on, you know, the baggage that my parents, their parents, everyone else's parents passed on to them. And so, yeah, so important because it's hard to be, I've only been married for like four months and like, it's hard. (laughs) Like you're like living with somebody and dealing with, you know, everything. And then when you bring kids into the picture and like full-time careers, like it's not easy. And so it's really, um about figuring out how to navigate different things that come up for you.
2: So Emily, I'm really curious, did you leave, live with your husband now before or your partner before getting married?
3: Yeah, we did. We lived together for like two and a half years before we got married. So I don't know why I said living together, but as part (laughs) of marriage, but just like something that, and actually, like, I know everyone has different opinions on that, but I feel like that was so helpful to live together before getting engaged because, like, there are just certain things about each other that, like, you know, get under each other's skin, but like, they weren't like, okay, I can't do this. They were just kind of like, good to know. And can we maybe work on that? Like, if I do something that bothers him or he does something that bothers me, it was like, we don't have to spend, because my parents didn't live together. And they said the first year of their marriage was horrible because they were adjusting to living together and like learning about each other in that way. And I was like, oh, like we already kind of did that. And so now it's like different things, of course, but yeah, that was nice that that wasn't something that we're had having to deal with in our marriage.
2: Yeah, because I, I would agree with you because someone asked me on another podcast because I'm, I'm also married mm-hmm. and they said, what what changed for you since like you got married? And I was like, no, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like a piece of paper, security, um, health insurance. Yeah. But other than that, <laughs> like, not nothing about our relationship really like to the core really changed right. for me. So I, 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 I'm always curious if that's different for other people. Um, because I mean, we're not cookie cutter, everyone's the same that some people feel a a big shift with, with that, with that type of commitment.
3: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think for like my, um, attachment style, I have more of an anxious attachment style. And so I think getting married had like You know, it feels like I feel a little bit more secure. Not that like it was anything in the relationship. I think just personally, like I feel a little bit better. Um, And I feel like that kind of brings me to my next question. In terms of, do you? Because as somebody who I can acknowledge, it has way more emotional baggage than, um, my husband, like he, you know, had a pretty normal childhood, whatever that means. Um, whereas I had more to chaotic childhood. Do you feel that a lot of times, like when couples come to therapy, it's okay. There's a lot of individual work that needs to be done as well for maybe one person or both partners.
1: Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, I, when I was first starting out, I would love if both of both partners would be an in individual therapy as well as couples therapy. But I also realized therapy can be expensive. They may not have enough time. Like it, it is a big commitment. Um, so in that situation, I think like we said, we can do individual sessions with both partners. I mean, you still have to stay balanced. So like, if it takes a few times of like, okay, we'll start out doing, a couple session, individual sessions, couple, and kind of going back and forth like that. I think that could be really beneficial. There's a lot of different ways you could do it.
2: Mm -hmm. Yep. I agree. I agree with Annalise. And yeah, typically I would say people start with individual before they go to couple anyways. um, That's also typically the, the woman. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: That's just my experience. And I think a lot of my, yeah. Yeah. Other therapists. Yeah. Mm
1: -hmm. I would agree. I've it's definitely coming. seen a lot of that. Um,
3: sorry, didn't mean to cut you off there. Um, but because do you feel that sometimes it is like the the way we communicate is sometimes stems from, you know, our experience, like we had talked about kind of like that systemic approach. And so uh, is that kind of why you often do say, hey, like individual therapy might be good because this you might need to like work through this or heal this or work on it individually and then address, or can you do it at the same time? Does that make sense? Like not you as an, as their individual and couples therapist, but like them individually working and addressing their couples issues. Did that make sense? My question.
2: Yeah, I think it made sense to me. I, I would say, I would say, yeah. I mean, that could be a reason for why, Um, a couples, your couples therapist might suggest individual therapy, um, because of emotion regulation or working on if you're coming in with trauma or you're coming in with, with something, whether, even if it's infidelity, things like that, or you worked with like maybe a sex addiction, things like that, that the couples therapist can't really focus on you in, in, in the similar way. And so I think that that there are times where that's just really, really appropriate, Um, but it doesn't mean that everybody needs to see individual therapists when they're in couples therapy.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. That makes sense. And going back to what Annalise said a couple minutes ago about the generational trauma piece and how, if you don't work through something now in couples therapy, I can definitely relate to that because I'm currently pregnant. So I feel like a lot of stuff just came to the surface once you like I personally got pregnant because I'm like, oh shit, now I have like a nine month timeline where I need to get all this stuff together and make sure I can be like the healthiest parent I can be with my boyfriend and make sure that we resolve like any issues we have beforehand. It almost just puts like that timeline on it, if that makes sense. And having a kid really can trigger like, you know, stuff that went on in your childhood or things that, happen with your parents, those attachment styles, those communication issues can just be exacerbated, probably in a similar way that um, marriage can, because it's just one of those rituals that we go through as humans, like a big life change.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Well, first off, c- congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank That's you. exciting. That's exciting. Are you past, are you past like the, the morning sickness or the nausea? Or yes, so... finally. I have about,
0: you. yeah, I have seven weeks left. I'm like 33 weeks right now. So I'm getting ah, towards the end. So, exciting.
2: <laughs> so now it's, it's the uncomfortable sleeping stage. Yes. <laughs> I it's assume.
0: like, yep. It's uncomfortable sleeping. It's pregnancy rage, like all those things. You just like being so tired all the time. Don't want to do yeah. anything Just stay at home.
2: <laughs> well, I can go on and on about postpartum and, um, my opinion on women during that time or, or birthing mother or parents, um, because there's a lot going on for you. So mm-hmm. with, with that timeline that you've mentioned that, that's really unfair, right? When we really think about it, that's really unfair to feel like, all right, I've got, isn't it technically like 10 months? Actually, a woman's actually pregnant for like 10 months. Yeah, no one yes. talks about that. Yeah. Um, so like 10 months, I'm going to have to like get it together and like know what I'm doing. De- no, absolutely not. I feel like that would place way more pressure and would probably hold you back more right it's it's sort of like procrastinating like i procrastinate because i don't want to fail i don't want to fail and then i fail right Mm -hmm. so it's it's sort of like that where you don't also a newborn you just have to keep them alive like you (laughs) don't need to (laughs) you don't need to know how to communicate with them you don't need to like be the best version of yourself possible like you just need to keep a baby alive for the first like feel like I wanted like 18 years of their life Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that no I'm kidding but like you know what I mean like the baby is the baby right now so it's it's really not it's a, I think it's an arbitrary timeline um mm-hmm. because it just puts that into into perspective of like well my mom did this to me and I'll never do that to my kid mm-hmm. so like it's okay to have these feelings and that's so valid and so common and normal I do them myself now and I don't I have a dog so <laughs> I <laughs> i I told, I think what you're saying is very relatable and probably something a lot of people feel. And at the same time, don't let that discourage you for taking your time in this healing process. And you're going to be your best and do your best because you want to. Mm-hmm. And that I think is really important to remember is that not everybody wants to, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. everybody thinks they need to. And so I think that there's, there's that difference between like, I got to get better now. And like, this will come and I will be taught in the, in the process of it.
0: Right. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautifully said. Thank you for the reassurance. And I think (laughs) a lot of that stuff comes up when, um, you get pregnant too, because a lot of your family members want to like give you advice or they'll be like, oh, this is what I did with you. Or this is what, you know, this family member did with their kid. And I'm like, I don't want your stanky ass advice, like, sometimes with them, I'm like, your last kid was 40 years ago, like, it is, you know, it is not the same as what I'm trying to do, or, like, don't think that I forgot, like, I know the family secrets, so just that sort of thing, it's almost (laughs) like, okay, I need to, like, bring the family into therapy now, so I've had lots of new content to talk about in therapy since I got pregnant, to say the least.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure everyone has an opinion on everything, mm-hmm. unfortunately.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um. So speaking, um, Ashley mentioned bringing the family into therapy. Can you guys tell us your experience of, I've done couples therapy, but I've actually never done um, like family mem- family therapy, like I guess in the sense that it was like a mom and a kid or parents and their kid. Um, so can you guys tell us your experience if you've done that, what it's like? I know it's kind of broad, so feel free to talk about whatever.
1: <laughs> yeah, I've never... I haven't been to, like, family therapy with my own family, if that's what you're asking.
3: No, I meant, like, as a marriage. Oh, as a clinician. Or your own experience, but I meant more as a professional.
1: (laughs) Oh, my gosh. No, my favorite, favorite dynamic to work with is adult children and their parents. It is so, so cool. And just, like, very healing, I think, for them to kind of, like, go over past hurts and to finally be heard as an adult and not, like, oh, you're the kid I'm the parent I'm going to tell you what to do and you have to listen to me kind of classic trope Mm -hmm. um so that is my favorite dynamic to work with I haven't had like a full family yet um but I think that that also just depends on like different presenting problems and it's probably also very difficult to get a whole family together (laughs) just with different schedules and work and money and all that stuff
2: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm it is it is very difficult I think that it really depends like Annalise said like she likes to work with adult children and their parents and that, that is such a healing time because it's like when we're when the relationship like the dynamic really shifts between us and our parents Of, and I say us because I think we're all adult children <laughs> here um <clears throat> where we're adults and we're not kids anymore and like Ashley, like you just said, like everyone's trying to give me opinions, but they forget that you're an adult mm-hmm. and that you get to make your own opinions and, and your own decisions. And there's that disconnect. So, and at least that's so, that's such a good way to put it is it's very healing. Now, if the, the IP, um, the, um, oh my gosh, I just forgot what it stands for. Identifying patient or identifying <laughs> patient. You. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> I use (laughs) acronyms way too much that I just forget what they even mean. Um, but yes, the (laughs) identified patient, yeah. The, um, IP identified patient is typically the, the person that the family's coming into therapy for, um, it's usually one and it's usually if it's family therapy and it's kids, then it's usually the kid is the IP, um, then when we're in therapy, we really identify the dynamic of what's going on. So I think it it really depends if you're, I mean, I've, I've seen like kids in family therapy, kids, kids, and I've seen teenagers and I've seen adults. Um, so in every stage of life, that type, that, that type of family therapy really shifts. Um, but I, I mean, the stance that I take it is I'm always like, like Emily said, like the, the family is my client, but I'm because the child to me is vulnerable and defenseless. I always try to help the, the child in, in the system um, mm-hmm. because that, I mean, the the parents are the ones in charge, right? There's this sort of hierarchy, but the child doesn't know how to communicate as much. And so if, I think the family therapist job is really helping them, Um, communicate in ways or notice different things in the family dynamic that can help assist uh, better communication or what's really going on why is my child sneaking out why is my child you know doing drinking alcohol why you know oh well maybe because you're not paying attention to them. (laughs) like so it it really depends um you know what's coming up um and what people are coming into therapy for
3: yeah definitely and um, I think that parent that's so great, and you see adult children with their parents because I feel like a lot of times on social media, like particularly TikTok, you'll see one of two things. You'll see like a Gen X or a boomer on TikTok talking about how their child cut them off and how, you know, ungrateful or um I saw this I think this video went viral. Like it was like an older woman talking about like you know, millennials and Gen Zers are so entitled, and they just cut their parents off, and after everything I've done for you, I can't believe you treat me like this. And it's, I feel like that dynamic, I have a lot of clients who are like no contact with their parents for, um, you know, those reasons, because that lack of understanding and willing to, you know, hear their child out. And so the fact that you have that dynamic in your therapy room is amazing, because, like you said, how healing could it be if they were able to Hear each other out.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's like, are they entitled, or do they just have boundaries?
3: <laughs> yeah, right. or in touch with oh their my feelings. Gosh.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I feel like so often the older generation, Boomers, Gen X—I think you said—like, like, like oh. yeah, <laughs> what, one of those. Um, there, there's such a stigma against therapy, so it's like, okay, if you need your kid as an excuse to go to therapy, great, let's get you in here so you can see, like, it's really not all that bad. <laughs> Mm -hmm.
0: Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I haven't been to like traditional family therapy per se, but I have brought my mom with me to one or two therapy sessions just to kind of address like reoccurring problems within our dynamic. And even just her coming with me those couple of times was so validating one, that she was willing to come with me and hear me out. And then also, just having that third party be able to sit there and be like, okay, this is what I'm hearing from both of you. Like here's how we can kind of work to solve it is also really validating because truly like relationships, especially family, like you can be so, so close and like have that love for each other, but you just need an outside party to kind of help you communicate better because it's hard to see, I guess what needs to be done when you're so close and you don't have that for that knowledge that mental health knowledge
1: yeah my favorite metaphor is when you're i mean so close to the situation i mean you're living it is you know when you sit so close to a tv you're like right here you're only going to see one character at a time when you back up and you can see the whole screen you can really see what's going on and i think that's but you said of like that's what that third party is. They can kind of get the whole picture to help kind of organize dynamics so that things can feel more comfortable mm-hmm. and easier to navigate. Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely.
3: I love that. And what are... Yeah. <laughs> I was like, it's I was, so I'm, good. I'm feeling that. That's so good. <laughs> Same. <laughs> You're like, I'm gonna use that. And yeah, like, if it comes use it. In sessions again.
1: Oh my gosh, that's my favorite oh, one. I, mean. I use that
3: all the time. I love metaphors and so thank you for sharing that one.
2: Me too. Yeah.
3: And what are some common issues you see come
0: up within family therapy? And again, I know you mentioned it's typically like one or two parents and their child, and that's something I was curious about too that you kind of touched on. If it's more just like the nuclear family typically, or if sometimes you bring other players into it as well.
1: Yeah, I think it would probably depend on the age. Um, But like, I know for anorexia, family therapy is like the number one uh, course of treatment. I mean, aside from like the medical aspect of it. Um, But like, I know for adult children and their parents, a lot of it is just wanting to be heard and validated that's like the number one thing that I see for kids. I'm sure it's completely different.
2: <laughs> I, th- I think you bring in people into therapy that makes sense. So like if, if like grandma is a big part of your life and grandma's the one that sees you, watches you every day after school and you know, this and that, and they're important figure in your life, bring grandma in. Like bring her in. <laughs> if, it's not then really there's no there's no point um but yeah and, and like Annalise said it depends on age
3: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and yeah, that's so like i think
2: oh go ahead go sorry
3: ahead. no you go ahead
1: oh no uh, ashley asked about like the most common like things that are most common themes
2: mm-hmm.
1: and i was just thinking back to something leor said about like teenagers with sneaking out or drinking or just like kind of acting out i'd imagine that that would be a big one um, and with younger kids, I would imagine that it would have a lot to do with the parents.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I, mm-hmm. That's yeah.
3: I have a colleague who, you know, generally focuses on just kids and she's like, half my work is the parents as well. It's like, yeah, the kid's my client, but the family system <laughs> is really my client. So I feel like that makes a lot of sense. Yes. But what um you were saying, Annalise about wanting to be heard, and I kind of touched on this earlier, like, yeah, that, you know, I I hear a lot, and I don't know if you guys hear this as well, like, I tried to bring something up with my parent, and they just said, oh, well, I'm the worst parent in the world, I guess, or, you know, I um I did my best, I don't know what else to tell you type of thing, and so, I feel like that's so heartbreaking, you know, when you bring something like that you're, you know, dealing with to a parent, and they have that response, and so, you know, how great would it be if more parent, adult children, parents could, you know, be in the therapy room and we did destigmatized it for that generation. Cause I know it was so stigmatized and, you know, still de- deals with that now. Um, Cause yeah, I hear that a lot in my individual clients.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, me too. It's incredibly frustrating when like you're giving all the tools to one person and they're doing great. And then another person kind of, Can undo that a little bit, or just like the emotional regulation piece of it is can be more difficult with that, but it's sad. Mm
3: -hmm. What's that saying? Like, uh, nine out of ten times people are in therapy to deal with people in their life who won't go to therapy. (laughs) Mm
2: -hmm. Absolutely,
3: which is why you know, uh, marriage and family therapy is so great because you know, if people are willing to go, then it you know, that doesn't have to be the main reason you're going to therapy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's so nice to be able like I throw this out super early, sometimes even in the consult, um, depending on what comes up with a lot of my individuals. Is I'm like, hey, if this person is a big player, like we can pull them into a session if you want, if you feel ready down the line, whenever it makes sense. Um, and those sessions can be really fantastic, too. And part of a big part of their like growth or progress or whatever.
3: Mm hmm. Mm-hmm don't you guys love meeting um, like with my individual clients? I love meeting their like partners because I'm like, oh, I did not picture you to be like this, like, or look like this. And then you meet them and you're like, okay, now I have a face or I have like, you know, I know who you are. And it's like, yes, this is good. I'm getting to see, because you just see your client. And of course you hear about everyone else, but then like to see them or meet them, it's like, wow, I understand this so much more now.
2: <laughs> I've had multiple clients create PowerPoint slides for me because they wanted to not because I asked to show me everyone in their life just pictures of everyone this is my sister this is my mom this is my dad this is who I hooked up with last week this is who I'm interested (laughs) in this week I'm like okay I love this cool that's so funny because yeah it's it's funny I love it oh my god I love that I'm
1: such a like oh go ahead
2: Oh, I was
0: just going to say, I've seen TikToks about that, where people make PowerPoint presentations. And I asked Emily, I was like, has anybody ever done this to you? Because this is such a good idea. So you could put faces to the names. So I'm like, my therapist hears about all these different people. And she's probably like, okay,
2: who is who? It's and- yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh, I'm such a visual learner. I That's why I love making like a family genogram, which is basically just a family tree. Um, to help me figure out who's who but like to have pictures in there too and just like to be able to see the interactions in person would make things so much i don't know if easier is the right word but it would make things make more sense i think
3: Mm -hmm. right If I get to a certain spot with a client, I'll just ask them. I'll be like, oh, what does your boyfriend look like? Or what does your girlfriend look like? Or your husband or your wife or your sister, if they're a big player. Because I'm just like, I'm just like, let me see a picture because I'm just curious. And of course, you know, they don't have to. But most of them agree because we're at that spot where they're like, oh, yeah, I've been like wondering if you thought about what he, you know, he or she looked like. And um, I saw a TikTok. Ashley, you might have actually sent it to me. It was like this client was like, they, um. Talked about how they were like went upstairs in their house and the therapist was like stunned because she's like, oh, I thought you had a ranch. And it's like we make <laughs> I don't know if you guys do this, but we like make up things in our mind about like what a client's like house looks like or what their partners look like. And so yeah, I feel like that's why those PowerPoints or pictures can be so helpful.
2: So funny. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But right, okay, we got I feel like
0: this. we keep referencing TikTok, but it's like you're right, you do get these little snippets, even me into my therapist's life, where she talks about like, oh, I went out and did this. I did this over the weekend, or I was with my daughter or whatever. And you construct these narratives in your head of what it's like. So it's a really good point. I can imagine from your guys' perspective as therapists too, just like hearing all these people's innermost thoughts, but not being able to necessarily always put faces to the names. It's like reading a book almost. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. That's, that's a really good really way
3: to put it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we kind of got off marriage and family therapy there, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> we, um, we're we going to wrap up now, but we really appreciate both of you taking the time to come on and sharing about marriage and family therapy because yeah, like um, Ashley said, we hadn't really got to touch on this um, in our podcast yet. So Um, Yeah. Before we go, Leora, you talked about your podcast. Do you want to just tell us a bit about that?
2: Yeah. um, I have a podcast with Maggie Lancioni. We are co-hosts on Therapists Out of Office. And we talk about mental health stuff. And we also talk about being therapists out of office. And so we're just ourselves, authentically ourselves. So if you don't like it, don't listen. But if you want (laughs) to hear what it's like being a therapist and about our lives and about you know, our take on mental health and different topics, and it might be a good fit for you. I love the name. Thanks. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> it really is. We're out of office. So true. So true. Yeah.
3: Um, all right. Well, thank you both so much. And um, we will definitely be tagging um, your Instagrams in our show notes and posting some things about the episode. And, yeah, thank you, guys. Yeah, thanks thank you. so much. Thank you.